All right, well, we're starting a new series today. Uh, here at The Journey, we like to preach through books of the Bible uh, more often than not, not always, but uh, that is kind of our default rhythm to uh, you know, provide content. We want to really just rely on God's Word, and so we, you guys are used to that, but perhaps not to this. This is a, a series on the book of Micah. So uh, it's titled Tension, Serving a God of Both Judgment and Grace, and uh, we'll be in it for five weeks, and my hope is that it really gives us some framework for how we look at um, the world and, and God's role in it, and really specifically our role in it. And so we're going to hear a lot about that. But um, really today, um, to get going, we're going we're gonna to look at this book, and we're going to look at really um, what, what does it look like to, to hold in view and really intention in our lives that our God is, is, is a God of grace, yes, but in order for us to really understand grace, we have to know, that, we have to know and remember and apply that our God is a, a God of judgment. And, um, and really, uh, this book, you, you know, today is probably one of the days you're really glad we put the, you know, the page number on the screen, because um, anybody have a hard time finding Micah in their book, right? It's one of those little, but you got, you got some big books to start the Bible out, right? You got Genesis, Exodus, all those numbers, those are, those are big books, and then you, you know, Psalms seems to be everywhere you turn, right? And then, and then you get past Psalms, and then you're looking for the New Testament, and, and there's all these little bitty books, right? Um, called the, the Minor Prophets. And, and so we, we tend to skip over them because we're in a hurry to get to the New Testament, right? And, and really, probably more than that, a lot of what's in the prophets are, is weird stuff, isn't it? Like, and if we do know anything in the prophets, it's usually, it's usually Jeremiah and Isaiah, right? Like, they've got some good coffee cup verses, right? Like, we've heard some of that. But really, those are like one or two verses of these huge books. Uh, so we don't want to do with the prophets in general, and then specifically the minor prophets. If you've ever tried to read them, there's a lot of strange language. Um, there's a lot of uh, names of cities and people and, and um, imagery. It's kinda, they're kind of like the revelation of the Old Testament, right? You're like, I don't know what's going on in these things. And then if you do dive in, it seems like they're, saying, they're all saying the same thing, right? There, there, there's, a, there's a repeat in these minor prophets of, of stuff. But I think a lot of the reason that we tend to, to skip over them and not spend a lot of time in them is because they have a lot to do with judgment, right? That a, a prophet by nature, um, Micah and the others um, are... are men that are commissioned by God to speak on behalf of God to his people. And so um, and that, that is almost always to call them out for their sin, to, to uh, tell them, uh, remind them of God's word, of God's plan for their life, and to call them back to repentance and back into the heart of God. Uh, and so it, there's a lot of judgment in these, these books. And I, I think a lot of times we don't know what to do with, with that, right? Like we don't know what to do with judgment in general, and specifically when it comes to um, the, the prophets. And, and so my hope is to, to let this series um, remind us that it's not this tension. I think what a lot of us, you know, um, were brought up in, or maybe what we've shifted to is that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is this angry uh, vengeful God waiting to like strike everybody down, right? But then the God of the New Testament is a happier, um, more loving, more tolerable God. And so we, we tend to want to skip to that. Like some of the narratives are fun, you know, in Genesis, and th- that's all good, but we don't know what to do when we're reading about God's judgment. And what I, what I hope to do is to let this book remind us of who our God is holistically, of who our God is not just the God of love and grace, but really, if you think about that, even those statements, in order for him to be a God of love, he has to be a God of justice and wrath, and therefore, there has to be 
judgment. Even in the, the famous verse that we all love, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Even if you stop and unpack that, like why did he send his son? Like there was a need, right? Like the, there was a need for the son to come and rescue and to pay the penalty for sin. And so um, I, I think that to look at that and to know that the Old Testament God is the New Testament God, and it's not this thing where, like, Jesus, like, I think a lot of times we think that Jesus, like, talked God into being on our side, right? Like, he's like, all right, I'll handle this, like, I'll, and, and now God's, like, okay with us. But in reality, like, the, the Trinity, like, God himself is a God of both judgment and grace. And really, in the Old Testament, there's just as much, in fact, um, for every mention of mercy in the New Testament, there's, like, three in the Old Testament. So there's like the idea of mercy and, and even grace in the Old Testament is actually quite pervasive in the whole book. And then and the, at the same time, in the New Testament, there's judgment all throughout. So it's not this idea of Old Testament, God's really angry and judgmental and, and grumpy. And then the New Testament, God is, is happier because Jesus did his thing. And so it's all about love and, and whatnot. Like it's both and. There's, there's, there's grace and, and, and love and kindness and forgiveness and uh, favor Mercy in the Old Testament, actually more so than in the New Testament. It's mentioned more often, at least. And then in the New Testament, Jesus, man, he speaks a lot of words of judgment, doesn't he? Not only while he's there does he speak judgment onto the people that are there, but he, he looks ahead to the judgment that will be coming. As you read uh, the book of Jude, the book of Revelation, you see that um, there, there's much judgment to be had. And so we, we have to have these things together in order to see who Jesus really is, in order really to see who our God is. Really is, and so what I want to look at today is this first part of Micah, where this really this Micah is is calling the people of God together, um, and really calling the whole earth and saying, "Come, you need to hear this." It's really it, it kind of in the context of almost a lawsuit, like where he's saying, "Come, all the earth, hear all you peoples." Uh, verse two, all of you, pay attention, O earth, all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. And he's going to unpack, and really the rest of that chapter is going to talk about the judgment that God is bringing um, to the earth. And then what we're going to talk about in the rest of the series is that a lot, like much of God's judgment is actually focused on his people and not just on the earth in general. And we're going to talk about that today is our posture is often flipped, right? That we, we as Christians and really we as people in general, humankind, like we judge ourselves as, as generally mostly good, Right? Like we think of ourselves as like, yeah, we know how we have some flaws, right? Like we know we have some little sins and some things we struggle with, but we don't think of ourselves as evil. We look at the world and we think, okay, there's the problem, right? Like we think, okay, if they would just get their stuff figured out and you fill in the blank, whether that's, you know, uh, from something as harsh as like ISIS and terrorists and things like that, like if, if, if they would get their stuff figured out, then the world would have peace. Or maybe that's uh, a different race. Maybe that's a different political party, right? Like if they would just get where I am, then this world would, would shake itself out, right? We tend to uh, view ourselves um, a little too highly, and we look at them and think, okay, they're the problem, and when, when, when God fixes them, then we'll, we'll get somewhere in this world. But what we're going to see through this book and really through this series is that God looks at the world and says, yeah, like I know it's all busted, and that's everybody, but I'm, I'm more concerned about my people. And the answer to the, to the world is my people. And so the judgment that God has is focused on his church, his people. And, and the answer to the busted brokenness of the world is 
the church and his people. And so that's what we're going to see is that actually it's much less about them and much more about us. And so uh, today, to kind of kick the thing off and frame it up a bit, we're going to look at, at how judgment helps us understand three things. So God's judgment helps us understand three things. First of all, it helps us understand the world, the evilness, the bustedness, the, the, the brokenness, the suffering that is. Uh, understanding God's judgment and how he views that, it helps us understand the world. And then secondly, it helps us understand ourselves. And then lastly, it helps us understand Jesus. And so uh, let's jump in here. And, and the first thing I want to look at is that um, this book is going to be written, and we're going to, after today, we're going to shift to talking about the church's role in the world. But I want you to see, first and foremost, that, that God is speaking to all the earth, and that he wants everybody to see this judgment. And in fact, that the judgment is for all the earth. I think a lot of times what we do, and, and you get into this conversation with people, and they start asking questions like, well, if God is real, then how does this, this, and this happen, right? You heard questions like that? If, if your God is, is real and he's a God of love or he's powerful, then why does he allow the, the suffering and the evil and, and things to go on? If he could stop it, then why doesn't he, right? Like that's a, that's a question that we often ask. And if not we, then people we know, people that you work with and um, live next to, those are questions that they're asking. If, if this God is, is truly real, then why doesn't he do something? Why does he allow the mass shootings to continue? Why does he allow the, the terrorist activity and the fighting and the evil and the, and the human trafficking to continue? And so first we have to understand that God is not an impotent, helpless pitiful, scared God in the face of this evil world. Like, it's not that he can't. Because that's kind of the logical conclusion. Some will draw, well, you know, he must either A, not be real, or B, must not be powerful because he doesn't seem to be doing anything, right? He doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to show up. Because we think, okay, we're not the problem. They are. So if, if God wants to do something about this world, then why doesn't he do, why doesn't he do it, right? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he confront them, uh, end them, whatever? What, however we fill in the blank with what we think the, the plan of salvation should be, right? We, we judge God for his lack of, you know, um, conforming to our plan and say, okay, well, he must not be present or whatever. And what we need to understand is that, that God does see, that he knows, and in fact, that he grieves the evil and the suffering that our world is in. And it's not that he's impotent and unable to do anything about it. It's that he's restrained by his grace, which we'll get to. But we need to understand, first of all, that God sees and knows. And so that's, that's what we saw in verse 2, that it, uh, Mike is calling everyone together. He, Hear, O peoples, all of you, all the earth, let the Lord be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. Listen, we need to, you need to know that. Like the, the image that we have of God, and Russ talked about this last week, even the image we have of angels, like we, we, we soften them up and we, we don't have this posture of like fear. We have these, uh, you know, really pretty and soft and, and, you know, fluffy ideas of angels and then really of Jesus with his feathered hair and his, his holding a child and, and you know, he's just, he's just really nice, right? But we need to understand that for these people, like the, what, they, what they know of their God is a God of incredible strength, a God of incredible holiness, righteousness, and terror. Like, you think back to, you know, Exodus, whenever God shows up on the mountain to, to give his people his covenant, and he says, like, don't even come near. If you touch the mountain, 
you'll die. And, and the, the people don't even want to go to speak to Speak to God, right? They're like, no, no, Moses, you go ahead. Like, you, you got this, buddy. We'll be right over here. We got your back, but we're not going near. Like, so you need to understand that this, this is a, an indictment on these people, and this is a passage of judgment where he's saying the Lord is coming out of his place. It's kind of like when you were a kid, and you're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, and then all of a sudden, Dad gets up and starts taking his belt off, right? Like, and you know, like, oh, like now he's coming. Like, I pushed it too far. Uh, I should have stopped a lot earlier. Um, this is the Lord getting off of his throne. He's coming out of his place, and he's going to come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. And so the first thing we need to know is that God does see, and he is judge. Like, actually, he has judged the world. Like, here's the deal. We, we, we go, okay, well, you know, what is God doing? Is he not cared? Is he, maybe he's just, maybe he just created us and then, like, set the whole thing off and step back. Like, is he involved? Is he not involved? What's he going to do? How is he interacting? And, and what this says is, like, no, God sees the evil. In fact, he's going to judge it. It's going to start with the household of God. But even in all that is going on in the world, God says, no, that's my judgment. Like, I'm, I'm controlling the nations and all that happens. Like, I'm letting those things happen. And really, here's what we need to understand. That there's not this good people and then the bad people and God just needs to handle the good people. Like God has made his judgment upon the world. And the verdict is guilty. Right? Like on everybody. Like it's not this good and bad. Like we, we tend to think, okay, well, we're the good people. They're the bad people or whatever. We got the white hats. They got the black hats. Like, and the Bible says, no, no, no. Like all bad, one good. And it's not you. And it's not me. Right? There's, there's everybody Romans 3 says, there's no one who's good, no one who seeks after God, no one who is righteous. All have sinned, all have rebelled, all have ran far from the Lord. And it's not that the Lord is just like okay with that. He has judged the earth. And the verdict is they are guilty, that we are guilty and depraved. And really, I want you to think about this because you start thinking, I've said this before, but I want you to think about, well, why doesn't God do something about the evil that is in the world or the suffering? Or like, why doesn't he show up? You need to understand that if he did, like if God, the only lasting and sweeping uh, move of justice is to get, away, get rid of all of us. Right? Like it's not them that God would just handle. Like you need to understand that it's us. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Like we need to understand that our sin, though we have minimized it, right? We've gotten comfortable with our sin, right? Like, we're, we're friends with it. We're good. Like, we know it's not okay, but, like, it's not really harming anybody else. Like, it's a secret sin or it's just within our house, whatever. And so we've gotten really comfortable with it. But, I, I, like, I want you to think about how we get to the really egregious and, and terrifying sins of the world of war and of human trafficking and of, of sex slavery and pornography and those types of things. Don't you think it starts and is fueled by the, the thirst for power? Don't you think that's how war, like, thirst for power in our own heart? Don't you think that greed drives the, so many of the decisions and the darkness that is behind the, the things that we grieve and loathe in, in our world and the power struggles all throughout the world? Don't you think that, like, the, the industry of pornography and sex trafficking, human trafficking doesn't exist if it's not people really like you and I that are, that 
are clicking on things on the internet, right, that can't control our desires, that are addicted to pornography. Like, like that is the darkness. And though it may be more contained and less pronounced and more, you know, well-kempt in our life, that is what drives the evil in this world. Like, that we are guilty. We are sinful. It's not them and us. It's, it's we. And so to understand that if God's going to do something, he would have to wipe us all out. And, and you need to know that, like, that's actually what happened in Genesis 6. Like, we tell the story of Noah's Ark, and we joked about a while back, it was kind of proposed we might paint that, that story on the walls of our, of our uh, Journey Kids hallway. We paint the story of the Ark, and, you know, because you, you have this image of, of what happens in that, you know, we talk about Noah and his family, and we talk about the animals, they all come two by two, and it's this cute little, we have these cute little pictures of all of these animals coming on the Ark, and, and you know, and they, they had, you know, it rained really hard, and for 40 days they were on the Ark, but then it stopped and dried up. And the, but what we don't talk about is that in that story, God killed everybody on the earth. Like there's judgment there. I, I kind of jokingly said, I said, okay, if we're going to paint that on the walls, like we got to paint the dead bodies floating in the water next to the ark. And they're like, well, that's dark. I'm like, yeah, but that's the story. Like that's what happened. Like Genesis 6 literally says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man and, and it was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart and it was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth. And it grieved him to his heart so that the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry. You need to hear that from the Lord. Like He sees and knows the evil, the stuff. Like He's not indifferent. I'm sorry that I've made them. But as we'll talk about in a minute, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You need, to, you need to feel the weight of that, that that's how God views the wickedness. And it's not just out there, right? And that's the second point. We need to understand that it's, God's judgment helps us understand us as well. That it's not just them, it's us. Like, we are them. Like, we, we need to understand that and feel that, that we are them. God's, God's judgment helps us understand ourselves because, as I said, we tend to judge the, the world by ourselves and our standard, and we look out if everybody was just this, fill in the blank, whether that be, you know, political party, this understanding, this level of education, whatever, um, then we would be good. But we need to understand that we are them. Ephesians 2 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is, this is talking to the church. Okay? So you need to hear this as, as not just, th- this is not them, this is you. So when he says you, put your name there, okay? And you, me, and Jordan was dead in his trespasses and sins in which, he, in which he once walked. Following the course of this world, we think it's innocent. We think it's just the way we do life. This is just what I'm, I'm used to is how I've always done Like, no, we need to understand that the, the course of this world is toward evil and and what drives the things that we loathe on the news, but following the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible doesn't give us this chance to sit back and go, okay, them, Right? God, you, you fix them. Take care of them. The Bible reminds us, no, 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 you, you are them. 
you, you were that part. Like you, on your own, without Jesus, you are dead and you're following the course of this world. You're a slave to the prince of, of darkness and you are peddling the evil that you hate and loathe so much. Like you are them. Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We don't get to view ourselves as good and the rest of the world as the ones with the problem. God has judged the world. He, he has seen the evil and suffering. He grieves it. And he, and he says, listen, really, what needs to happen for there to be peace and wholeness and justice would be to wipe everybody out. Like, that, that's what we deserve, and that's really the only way to bring about shalom again. Right? Peace and wholeness. That, like that's the only way, that's the only way forward. God is a God of judgment, and He did execute a worldwide flood because our humans are so inherently, our hearts are wicked and deceived by sin. We're born into iniquity and we, we're so torn and, and broken and bent toward hell that God said, I'm, I'm grieved, I'm sad that I made this. You gotta think about the drastic shift from Genesis 1, right? Whenever he said, Man, this is good. In fact, it's very good. This is not how God made, it's not how God designed the world to be. This is not what he wanted for us. His world was good. You look back at Genesis 1 and 2, like that's, that's what he meant for, for us. Like, and, and so when we look at the world and we see the bustedness and the brokenness and the evil and the suffering, we need to go, okay, that's on us. That's because of me. And anything less than total annihilation and destruction and eternal hell Anything less from God than that, total annihilation, is pure mercy. Pure mercy. So the fact that he allows us to keep living at all, pure mercy. You get that? Mercy is not getting something you deserve, right? Like, you deserve to be punished. I'm going to show you mercy and not do that. Like, just, like, we're not even talking about Jesus. Like, I'm just saying, if he just lets us keep existing, that's mercy. We need to know that. We need to feel that. And the only way that he's able to do that, the only way that he's able to, to hold back his judgment and to keep his arm from completely wiping us all off is found in this tension, which is pointed to in, uh, later in Micah. And we're going to talk, I, I skipped over a good bit here in the, in the first chapter, but really what you see in verse 5 through 9 is that, uh, as we're going to shift into in the next few weeks, is that this judgment that Micah's talking about is for the church. Like, it's for God's people. He says, and all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. That's, that's God's people. That's not them. That's us. And so that's the, that's the point I was making there is like, this is, this is God's people that he's going to be bringing this judgment to pass on. Their, their cities are going to be ransacked. Their, their kingdom is going to be lost and their, their people are going to be carried off into slavery. And that's very real and very dark. And it's very much intentional on God's part. Like God's saying, like, you, you don't get free passes on just rebelling against me and doing whatever you want. There will be consequences. And this is Micah declaring that to God's people. Hey, the Assyrian army is on our doorstep. They are, they are coming to take us down. And you know why? You know why that's happening? Is it just because, oh, they're stronger than Israel or God's you know, asleep and forgot to step in on this one? No, he's saying this is judgment. 
It's judgment because you fail to acknowledge the Lord, because you fail to walk in the um, instruction that the Lord has given, and, and that will not go unpunished. That would not be loving, right? It's not loving if we don't discipline our kids, is it? Like you think about that. Some people have that, you know, they don't want to correct their kids. They don't want to discipline their kids because they're, you know, they want to let them be. Like, you ever been around those kids? Like, it ain't good. Why? Because they need discipline, right? It's loving of a parent to correct and to, and to discipline and teach there has to be consequences for our actions or we won't learn. And this is God saying, listen, my people, I, I tried. Like, I, I, I made the way of life really, really clear to you. It's called the, the Ten Commandments. Like he said, hey, live this way. This is not just God saying, hey, I really want you to follow some rules so that I feel good and everybody knows. Like God said, no, no, no. Hey, hey, you want, you want to have a good life? You want life to go well? Do, do, do this. Do these things. It'll be really good for you. It's not even like we, we, we mystify and talk about God's you know, law. It's like, hey, no, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out life's going to go better if we don't lie to each other, right? Like we honor each other. Uh, we love our neighbors ourselves. We're not trying to steal from each other. Like these are not big, like grand ideas. God's just saying like, hey, this is how you be a human and this is how life's going to go well. Treat each other how you want to be treated, basically, right? Love God, worship him, not other stuff. That's going to get your heart all jacked up. Right? And then just treat your neighbor as yourself. And life will go really well. And they haven't done it. They've gotten evil. They've, they've walked away. They've allowed um, idol worship to come into to God's house, into God's people. And they've walked away. And God says, listen, there will be judgment for this. That's what 5 through 9 talks about. It's going to talk about the, the way that God is going to destroy the, the things that they've built up, the, the, the things of pagan worship. In verse 7, all of her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. Her wages shall be burned with fire. God said, I'm going to purify my people. I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to destroy the idols that they put up, and I'm going to purify them. Strong language. For from the, the fee of a prostitute, she gathered them into the fee of a prostitute. They shall return. God's saying, they didn't get this stuff by, by worshiping me and letting me provide for them. They went out on their own. They prostituted themselves out to another God, to another way of life. And, and they got these things, and they're really proud of them. And God says, listen, they bought it. It's going to go back to those people. It's the, and that's how sin works, isn't it? Like, we think God, we always think, like, we don't just rebel against God because we're like, ah, I'm tired of him. I'm going to. I'm going to do my own thing. Like, sin is birthed in us because we have this desire and we start to believe this lie that this has something to offer us, right? That this will provide for us something that we don't have yet. And that's how we walk into sin. That's how we start embezzling money. That's how we start being addicted to porn. That's how we start entertaining the flirts of somebody who's not our spouse. Like we start to believe that oh, maybe, if I, maybe, maybe there is something there that will satisfy my soul. And we, we start to flirt with that. And, and what God's saying is like, I'm not going to let that serve you well. I'm going to thwart that. I'm going to destroy that. And even if it hurts you in the moment, it's more loving for me as your father to discipline you, to call you out, to, to bring wrath upon you so that you learn, so that the next generations learn that this is not the way to life, that God wasn't kidding when he put forth his law, right? It wasn't like an optional thing. You say, no, no, th- this this or wrath? This or wrath? So as a loving father would do, he disciplines his children and he takes 
their little idols from them and sends them into exile. And it is hard to imagine. It's hard to really humanize what's going on here in the judgment of God. Our God is a God of judgment, and it is not just them. It is us. We need to understand that. The judgment starts with the house of the Lord. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. This tension, though, that God must judge, must discipline, must bring the hammer down on the disobedient rebellion of his children. This tension. Yes, he loves us. Yes, they're his children. Yes, he's covenanted to them, but, yet, but he's a still a God of justice, right? He's still a God of, there has to be judgment. If he compromises that, then he's not really God. He's not who he says he is. So it's this tension that makes us long for and celebrate who Jesus is. God's judgment helps us understand Jesus, not just the world, not just ourselves, but Jesus, because grace isn't grace without judgment and wrath. There's no need for it. Like, if there's not judgment and wrath, then we don't need grace. John 1, just think of this, just coming off of Easter, what we've celebrated, Christ coming, putting on flesh, being the anti, like, the anti-Adam. You think back to Adam and Eve when that whole deal that I described earlier started, when we started believing that something out here would, would give us what we longed for in here, right? And they believed that uh, the lie that Satan had spun and they reached out and, and because they wanted equality with God, right? That, that's what started this whole deal. Like, I really, I want to be God. I'm not content with serving God, loving him and being under his care. I want to be God. That's what started this whole deal. That's what drives our thirst for sin. And And that's what broke this whole world and fractured all of us. Philippians says that that Jesus, though, even though he was God, he's seated on his throne. He has all that he could ever want. He's completely full, completely content, without sin, without blemish, without obligation to us. We are not entitled to Jesus coming to earth. We're not entitled to Christmas. You understand that? We're not entitled to the cross. He has no obligation to us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't thinking about him. In fact, our heads were turned the other way. We were running away from him. No obligation, and yet he steps off his throne. And Philippians says he doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he humbles himself. He steps into our mess, and he takes on flesh. And he reveals to us the fullness of God. It's not just judgment. It's not just grace. It's, it's both and. And John 1 unpacks that for us. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Now, truth is a less offensive word, but what is truth? Truth is judgment, isn't it? Truth is calling out. Like, truth sounds good when it's about somebody else, but if you're, like, when truth is revealed to you, then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's when we're being exposed, right? So Jesus is full of grace and truth. And it's that combination. It's both and. Not one or the other. Not sometimes this, sometimes that. But always this and that. At the same time, it's this that displays the full glory of God. It says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You need to think about that, like in context with what we deserve, the full judgment, and what we got instead was grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. But he has made him known. Listen, 
This is not one God in the Old Testament and then, you know, a happier, more pacified God in the New Testament. Like, Micah knows this is coming. Verse, or chapter 2, verse 13 begins to talk about it. He says, um, actually, in 12, he says, I'm going to gather all of you. I'm going to get a remnant together. I'm going I'm to rescue you. And he who opens the breach goes up before them, and they break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Down in verse or chapter 5, verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, this is one of the, the songs and the, the prophecies that we celebrated at Easter, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. It's not going to be about power. Remember, we walked all through that in, in Luke. It's not going to be about those who are powerful and righteous. It's going to be the weak and the weakest clan, not even counted among Judah, Bethlehem, the weakest city there in the little clan of Judah. He says, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name. This is Michael looking ahead to what Jesus would accomplish in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they, his people, the ones he's going to redeem and rescue, they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. It's only in view of God as a God of judgment do we really drink in the fullness of Jesus, our God, our God of grace. Like we celebrate grace, we sing about it, but without the rest of the story, without the judgment, then the good news isn't good. The truth of the matter in John 3.16 that we love to quote, God so loved the world, right? Think about that. Think about a father's love on a broken, rebellious, guilty world. What's his response? What should the father do to the children who've walked away, who've spat in his face, who've said, I don't want your ways, I don't want your provision, instead I want to be like you, I want what you have, I'm going to defy you. What should a good father do? Well, justice says it should be destruction, right? Judgment, annihilation. We deserve nothing less. What Micah is pointing to and what we celebrated at at Christmas is that instead of judgment and wrath, we got grace upon grace. Listen, church, sometimes I don't know if we get that. When I look and we're singing, I don't know if we embrace the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. The, 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 The good news, like somebody needs to tell your face. That's good news, right? When you guys are worshiping out there, I'm not sure you believe it's good news. We should be moved. Eternally moved with gratitude and worship. Because what we deserved was wrath, and what we got instead was grace. And the only way that those two things exist, the only way that God restrains his judgment on the earth, the only way that 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 reality of God, judgment and grace, exists within our world of evil and bustedness is found and reconciled in the person of Christ Jesus. That he was full of grace and truth, and he took himself, his perfect life, he lived the life that we couldn't live, and he took himself and he willingly 
Bible says, God so loved the world in his judgment. Yes, they're guilty, but I so love them that I'm going to give my son instead. Instead of them, I'm going to give Jesus. So it's not Jesus persuaded God to not be so mad anymore. It is them together. God saying, I love you so much. And yes, I'm a God of judgment, but I'm also a God of grace and mercy. And in that, I'm going to give my son Jesus. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish. Would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the offer. That's the gospel. Like, so we need to understand that's what's going on in the world. God is, is, is restraining himself. Romans 2 says, like, don't, don't look around at what God's, you think he's not doing and say, okay, God's not involved. He says, no, no, no. That's God's patience and kindness towards you, giving you a chance to repent. Because if God executes justice the way you think he want him to, then you're included in that deal and everybody's wiped out. But God's waiting. He's patiently holding back his wrath, which will one day be fully executed, it says in Revelation, right? Jesus will come back and fully execute the justice of the Lord. And those who have not claimed Jesus as their Savior and trusted them with their life will be forever separated in eternal hell, fire, and brimstone. Like that's we don't like to hear about that, right? Many of you are here because we're not the hellfire and brimstone church, right? And you, you didn't like that as a kid, but you need to understand that that's a reality. Like, that's the truth of the Bible. And whoever doesn't claim Jesus' name will be separated forever in eternal damnation and torment. But, that's what we all deserve. But, through Jesus, we've received grace upon grace. And the offer is life. So that's what he's doing in the world. That's what he's doing. Anything less than annihilation is pure mercy. But more than that, he gives us grace. A way to life. He gives us Jesus. He's made a way. And we're going to see in the coming weeks how he wants us, as those who have received that grace, to be the light upon a hill for a dark world, to be the salt that preserves this world from disintegrating into complete chaos, that, that that's our role as his church and as his people, that he empowers us, that he's going to accomplish that through us. But for today, we need to be grateful. We need to be moved to worship that we deserved wrath, we deserved punishment, we deserve to perish. But instead, we got grace upon grace in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us as a good father. But thank you most of all for not giving us what we deserve. For instead, giving us mercy. In Jesus. We don't deserve that, and we can never repay it. As we worship now, Lord, would you be present in a powerful, palpable way where we're overwhelmed. Lord, bring us to our knees. Let us open with the truth of the gospel. May we be moved to worship. May we not have to figure it out or muster it up. May we just be moved to worship this morning. Father, if there's those here who have never trusted you as their Savior, may you give them the grace and the faith to, to come today. Be with us as we observe this meal and as we respond and worship. Meet us here. We ask these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen.